Vegas Inc. Radio. I'm Dylan Goldsberg, host of the show and business editor of Vegas Inc. and the Las Vegas Sun. Over the next half hour, we'll be discussing Las Vegas's long-hauling problem involving taxi cab rides from the airport to the Strip, and some good news for South Point Casino, which is getting a $30 million bowling center that's expected to attract hundreds of thousands of bowlers to the city for the next decade. But first, we'll turn our attention to perhaps the biggest news of last week, um, the legalization and the implementation of online poker um, by our very own station casinos. Joining us now is uh, gaming reporter Ed Comenda. Welcome, Ed. Thanks for having me. So you wrote a story um, looking at the impact and the news um, of Station Casino mm-hmm. launching its first, or the state's first, uh, online poker site. Tell us a little bit about the site. Uh, well, the site Ultimate Poker is the first fully legal pay-to-play poker site uh, released in the country. And it happened, uh, there's this race been going on between several companies and stations came out on top uh, in Nevada. So they, yesterday morning, or uh, actually the morning of April 30th, they released uh, Ultimate Poker, which went live for a 30-day trial, and people were playing online poker with real money. (laughs) And this isn't offshore? Like you said, this is fully legal and legit. This is not offshore. Um, It's it's completely based in Nevada. Uh, The 30-day trial uh, is part of an agreement with the uh, Gaming Control Board, um, which says that um, well, actually, Nevada law says that they can only take bets in the state of Nevada. So it's a very small market, but um, it's, it's a functioning market, I suppose. Well, and Nevada has uh, just under 2 million people, um, but it's not just Nevada residents. If you're a tourist, you can play as well. How does that work? Uh, industry officials, they, they call this phenomenon uh, poker tourism, and they're actually allowing tourists outside of the state of Nevada to create accounts uh, that they could use when they visit Nevada to play online poker. Uh, they're using that uh, to increase liquidity, which is a fancy term for player traffic, because like you said, there aren't that many people just in the state of Nevada, and there's even fewer poker players out of that that number. So they're trying to increase their traffic to make money. Uh, so they're opening it to to people outside the state to come visit and play. And so uh, you log on to ultimatepoker.com and yes. give them some information. And it, how is it any different than poker stars and some of the ones that have been around in the past? The operating system seems very similar. I mean, you can't get too fancy with a card table and little icons and you know little digital chips. Um, the the difference is the real money, uh, but it looks very similar. Um, and you could play for as little as two cents, or you could play with as much as a hundred dollars uh, uh, per hand. So it's it's uh, certainly interesting. And you saw both uh, when they were previewing this. I thought it was funny. You told me people were playing for like twelve cents and then thousands. Yeah, there was one. I was uh, I got to see a demonstration of the game at the Ultimate Poker Studios, and there was one table with six or seven people that were betting uh, two five cent blinds, and there was another uh, table that was betting um, uh, over a hundred dollar blinds. So it was it was. Um, they were both very popular tables, completely different budgets. So Absolutely, and different players, I would imagine. That's right. I'd be on the, the penny table. So would I. <laughs> so. 
And so now what does this mean? I mean, we've heard a ton in the state from our governor, from the federal officials and representatives about online gambling, internet play. Now we're first. Um, that That's both a blessing and sort of a burden. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's certainly a blessing because, like I said, Nevada is the first to unveil this uh, forthcoming. Uh, people have been waiting for this forever. But it's also a burden because everybody's going to be watching. Other states, New Jersey, Delaware, where some form of online gaming is, is legal, they're going to be looking to Nevada as a model, uh, and they're going to be looking to Ultimate Poker uh, to see what the standard is for, for online poker. And they could hope that um, Ultimate Poker should be hoping that they could they could pull it off. So, and I guess for station, it's probably if they do it successfully, going to be a huge boon, but maybe a little worrisome if they don't. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the key here, I think, is uh, the potential for interstate compacts. If Nevada can team up with a state like California, say that's also pursuing some type of uh, online gaming, then they could um, make money in both states. Uh, some figures that have been thrown out there is it's a hundred million dollar business, but with every state that follows the regulatory process and actually follows through with it, uh, that number grows. So. Uh, stations can ho- hope to be a part of it. They're the, they're the first and only one right now. So, and that that's been the goal all along, if not federal legislation enabling this or encouraging yes. it. Um, Governor Brian Sandoval has hoped and passed legislation to do these interstate compacts. Absolutely, and Sandoval has been very uh, persistent in, in pushing this legislation for for that for that very reason that um, it's a huge uh, money pot if it um, gets done. So. Now, when I win big, how do I get my money? Well, uh, you could actually cash in your winnings at any of Station 16 casinos in southern Nevada. Um, and that's that's pretty much the only way you could do it right now. Um, that is, it goes the same for people who are gambling from out of state who are visiting. you got to go to the casino and get your cash. So. so they won't send a check to my house? I don't think so, no. But I will get player points it's similar to in the casinos? Uh, officials have said Station Casino actually plans to tie in their player rewards system with Ultimate Poker. So activity on Ultimate Poker can um, ultimately uh, turn into points or uh, free rooms and, and money or uh, food and things like this. So, Well, that's great. And in terms of the regulation, I know a lot has been said about there'll be all sorts of safeguards to make sure you are who you say. Did they talk anybody anymore about how they'll know who's playing and make well, sure it's not kids? Or uh, um, Tom Breitling, the, the founder of Ultimate Potenter, talked a lot about uh, security and players are going to feel secure when they play this because of those regulatory um, approvals. Um, with that comes law enforcement tools that um, prevent identity theft and underage gambling, uh, which it basically requires a social security number, um, a cell phone number, your name, date of birth, things like this. It's hard to tell how effective it's going to be. I'm really curious to see what's going to happen at the end of this 30 days when um, the company goes to a public hearing with the Gaming Control Board, and I'm curious to see if any of these issues are going to come up because, you know, um, it's easy to get a hold of someone's Social Security number, and it's easy to, um, you know, especially when your picture isn't on the uh, the uh, the icon for the for the Ultimate Poker game, it's hard to really tell who's playing. Well, that's always been my question. You know, some person signs up and hands the iPad to whomever, and you don't really know who's playing. Absolutely. So, so that's that's something that people are going to be curious about, and I'm curious myself to see what comes of that. So, and I'm guessing they probably want your social security number for tax purposes too. If you, Uh, I'm sure there's real money involved here. So, 
they, it's it's very similar to producing a driver's license in a brick and mortar casino to get your get your winnings. So, absolutely. And any idea we there's you know some twenty odd casino companies that are in the pipeline to do this themselves. The online gambling gambling they've been approved already. Do you have any clue when we might see more of these pop up? Well, the the most recent one was South Point, which was going gangbusters on on hiring people to staff their poker site. They wanted to be the first to open last year, uh, at the end of two, uh, 2012. Uh, I tried to get a hold of them for the story that I published uh, May 1st, but they were unavailable for comment. But it's in the works. Um, I would guess, you know, within the next year, you'll probably see uh, at least another one. Yeah. So the floodgates have been open now. That's true. That's very true. Well, great. Um, you'll have to come back and let us know how much you won when you get a chance to play. Absolutely. I, I will. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever play, but <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Ed. Yeah, you got it. Ed Comenda is gaming reporter for Vegas Inc. and the Las Vegas Sun. You can follow his coverage and all our coverage at VegasInc.com and LasVegasSun.com. You're listening to Vegas Inc. Radio, part of Waking Up with the Sun. We're here every Monday at 7 a.m. on KUNV 91.5 The Source. Joining us now is business reporter Rick Villato. Welcome, Rick. Thanks for having me, Dylan. You've had a lot of wonderful stories, as usual, in the last couple of days and weeks. And let's talk about one of your more explosive uh, stories and topics, long hauling. It's the journalistic gift that keeps on giving, <laughs> but uh, the bane of many of our visitors' existence. Um, for the listeners who don't know, just explain long hauling and what the state auditors found recently. Well, well long hauling, what that means really is that a, uh, a taxi cab driver takes uh, a passenger on a route that's longer than is supposed to be. So that, that uh, translates into many different things. But in Las Vegas, primarily it means driving from the airport to the strip, going through the tunnel uh, at the airport. So uh, that increases the uh, the fare on a trip uh, that should, uh, you know, cost between maybe um, 10 and, and uh, $20 to 15 to $25. So it's it, it, it does bite into it just because of that little bit of extra distance. Well, recently, the, the uh, Legislative Council Bureau, which is a, a division of our uh, state government, performed an audit on the Taxi Cab Authority, which is uh, the regulatory body that, that oversees the taxi industry here in Clark County. What they found was that uh, uh, cabs in, in the last year, in 2012, uh, cab uh, uh, drivers overcharged their passengers to the tune of $14.8 million, which is uh, a pretty astonishing amount. It's incredible. Yes, and uh, basically what the, they, they've said is that about a quarter of the trips from the airport are long hauls. And I, I guess part of the, the thing that, in all fairness, we need to point out is that the uh, taxi industry disputes that. And in fact, one of the companies, uh, Yellow Checker Star, has formally uh, requested that the Legislative Council Bureau withdraw that, that, uh, that audit report because they feel that it's false. They feel that the numbers are, are overblown. They, they believe that the, um, the uh, LCB has besmirched the, the great, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the great, uh, taxi industry here in Las Vegas, and uh, they're very mad about it. So, and their argument is that people want to sightsee; they ask to take the longer, but maybe quicker route. Yeah, uh, they, there, there's a number of different things that could happen to to set up a 
a potential bigger fare, and, and one of them is just the traffic in general. If, if, if there's a lot of traffic on the streets, whether that's on the freeway or whether that's on the uh, the city streets, it's going to cut into it's going to make it be a more expensive trip because not only are you paying for the mileage, you're also paying for the time. So that's one area. Then the one that that was pointed out by the uh, t by the uh, company that that uh, is uh, upset about this is that there are some passengers who get in a in a cab and they'll say, "Hey, I've never been here before. Kind of take me on the scenic route," or um, they might say, just take me to downtown as fast as you can get me there. And that's a signal to the, uh, the, the driver to just take the freeway. So, you know, there, there are a number of different things, and, and this audit really doesn't differentiate those. And that's what the, the uh, industry has a problem with, is that they think that uh, there, there are many logical explanations that are out there that just weren't taken into consideration when this audit was performed. Now, in your expert opinion, and obviously you're a journalist, so we're not in the business of opinions, but you're also a transportation expert. You've been covering this for years and years and years. Um, how, do you buy that argument? I mean, how many of these do you think truly were long-hauling in the negative sense that they were trying to pass one over? Well, I think it's it's somewhere in the middle, as, as it often goes in things like this. You're going to see that there are going to be, uh, you know, a, a quarter of the uh, – of the things are, of, the, of the trips are long hauls. I'm not sure if it's that much. Maybe it is, uh, but there are certainly some circumstances that that the um, uh, the company that uh, listed this argument would would come through. So I'm thinking it's someplace in the middle. It's not. It's maybe uh, not as extensive as a, as a quarter of the trips, but it certainly is high enough to to raise the level of awareness. And certainly, it's something that the taxi cab authority needs to do something about. Well, and given that the backbone of our economy and our city is tourism, even if it is 10%, 5 5%. Yeah, I mean, right. that, that's a black eye for Vegas it, when a tourist finds out that they just got, you know, cheated out but, of however many bucks. Sure, sure, Dylan. The, the reality is it should be 0%. We shouldn't have this problem. And certainly there are some some explanations or some some ideas that have come forward but it's just one of those things that just never seems to get off of the off of the the ground when when people propose it. One of the things that we've talked about is have a flat rate. Cities all across the country have flat rates from uh, one uh, location to another based on how many miles it is as the crow flies or or anything. Even if even if the they built into a, a, the fare structure extra time that would be accountable by by extra traffic, things like that, I think people would be a lot happier knowing exactly how much money they would have to spend to get from the airport to, say, Caesars Palace. If there's one rate that's listed someplace, someplace posted on their website, at the airport, at Caesars Palace, wherever, if there's one rate that's posted, then people won't have any place to argue. And they can go through the tunnel if they like, if they think that's going to be the fastest way to go. Or they can take the surface streets, whichever is more, uh, you know, the, the best way for the, the driver to go. The drivers are out there 12 hours a day. They know what's going on with the traffic patterns. They know when there's road construction going on. So they should know what is the fastest way to get someplace. And it's to their benefit to go the fastest place because that means that they'll have more time to do other uh, customers. They'll have more customers to be able to use. So it seems to me that flat rate is the way to go. I mean, I tend to agree. It seems like a no-brainer. However, this isn't a novel idea. Like you said, it's not like nobody else is doing this. Why haven't we done it? And why don't you think it's going to get traction? You had a column this week sure. about that it's probably not going to happen. Part, part of, the, part of the, the reason, I think, is just the, the, the way things are approved uh, legislatively in in this state, and I, I think the taxi cab authority is one of those really unusual 
regulatory bodies because they only look in on the taxi cab business in Clark County. So the, the fact that the state has to do something, that legislators would have to pass legislation that would enable the taxi cab authority to have flat rates is something that we're not seeing. It's, it's something that uh, apparently has died in the legislative process this year. So that means we're looking at at least another two years before something can, can happen. And then, of course, you've got the taxi industry, which gets to weigh in on every single decision that is made by the taxi cab authority. And a lot of them just recognize the fact that their revenue stream could be cut a little bit if there is a, uh, a flat rate. So are they going to be fighting for this? No, they're not going to stand up for it. So that just means that uh, a lot of the general public is going to have to come out and ask for it. Uh, obviously, the people who are most affected by this don't live here. Uh, so you're, you're not going to see a whole lot of, uh, of movement towards getting this flat rate done, even though to most people it makes absolutely the best sense. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you mentioned a lot of the victims, quote unquote, are tourists. And I think it's interesting the argument has been made, well, you can report it, you can press charges or file a complaint, except who gets off the plane from Germany, Kansas, wherever. And That's says, the last thing you're going to want to do is to sit down and do paperwork. Exactly. It's one of those things that that even though people might be aware of it, uh, they might get caught, be caught red-handed. And in fact, uh, taxi cab authority police have actually stopped cab drivers um, at some of the uh, some of the, the locations at the resorts. They've looked at their meters. They've determined that a long haul has happened, and they ask the uh, the passenger if they want to uh, to file a complaint. And they say, you know, I've got better things to do. I'm I'm in Las Vegas. I don't want to hang around here and, and fill out a form. So that's one of the reasons why nothing gets done on this is because there's uh, there's nobody there to, to complain loudly enough that this happens. And while it's never been proven, we've talked about this before, the accusations are out there that the companies, at least, you know, in theory, are complicit in this and know what's going on. Um, like I said, I mean, some say we're, we're finding this tooth and nail. We've written about freest transportation that's trying to come up with uh, technology to combat this. But... On our comments, a lot of these cab drivers are saying, this is what my bosses tell me to do. Not only do they allow it, they expect it. Well, and, and part, of the, part of the issue on that is that um, if you're a cab driver, you can be uh, docked for bringing in what they call a low book. That means that you're not making as much money during a shift that, uh, that is expected of you. And therefore, when, when you go in for your evaluation, they'll say, hey, you didn't produce as much revenue as you should have, or, or you didn't produce as much as the average that the other cab drivers brought in. So what this does is it encourages, or at least in the minds of the, of the, of the drivers, this encourages them to cheat and to long-haul passengers in order to make their, their, a higher book for their uh, for their companies, would would they do this on a, on a regular situation? Probably not. But if it means that you could get fired from your job for not producing, I, I can see where there would be motivation to somehow raise the level of my book, uh, even if it means uh, taking a chance on breaking the law. And one last question before we move on to perhaps happier news. Um, in your story, you wrote that the the auditors hadn't looked at this in three years. I, we've written about it. It's a commonly known problem. Why in the world aren't they taking a closer look at this? Well, in, in, and, and to, to clarify here, we're talking about the taxi cab authority auditors have not uh, looked at it. We're not talking about the L, uh, the LCB auditors in this case. Which so in the, some ways is even more. The taxi right. cab authority is the one who regulates the taxi cab. Right. They, I mean, they've, they've got the manpower to do this, but what they've done is that they've assigned 
the auditor's other tasks. And, and certainly there are a lot of issues going on within the industry. I can understand why you know, maybe one administrator would want to divert his staff to do something else. Um, but the fact is, is that this has gone on for a long time. And the fact is, is that there wasn't a, uh, a complete audit uh, performed in, in such a long time that the problem just continues to, to go on and on and on and nobody seems to uh, be able to do anything about it. Well, it doesn't seem like there's an immediate solution in our future, but hopefully at least uh, the regulators will be paying more close attention. And, well, um, it, 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 the thing that you mentioned, Ellen, that about the uh, the technology that's available, that uh, right integrity, it's called the Tax Cab Authority is looking at that. That's a, a real-time uh, computer program that uh, uses GPS trackers to uh, to monitor every cab that's on the streets. Well, obviously something like that would be pretty expensive to um, to, uh, to to install in every in every cab, the uh, system itself is going to cost a lot of money. Is it worth it? I I don't know. It, it kind of depends on what the price tag is, which still hasn't been disclosed. But the tax cab authority is looking at it as a as a potential solution. Well, you'll have to let us know what they decide. We'll I know you'll be happens. all about it. For those of us just joining us, you're listening to Vegas Inc. Radio, part of Waking Up with the Sun. We're here every Monday at 7 a.m. on KUNV 91.5, The Source. Um, you had another story more recently about South Point. It's got a $30 million expansion renovation um, in the works to welcome thousands of bowlers uh, to our city. Tell us about that. It's, uh, it's actually a pretty in- incredible story. And I, let me, let me kind of go back on some background a little bit here. Uh, several years ago, the uh, uh, U.S. Bowling Con- Congress was uh, invited to come to Las Vegas to put on one of their big tournaments. And it was incredible because they estimated that, like, uh, thousands and thousands of bowlers were going to be coming into town from February through June of that particular year. And they actually built a bowling center at Cashman Center. Uh, part of that part of that big convention center was pretty much just wiped out and put into a, you know a bowling center was 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 built. Well, some of our some of our tourism leaders looked at that and said, "Wow, if we could have something permanent here that would attract this USBC, uh, on a regular basis, wouldn't that be fantastic? We'd have this these bowlers coming in all the time, and so that idea was was pitched to several different uh, companies in in Las Vegas. And South Point was the one who embraced it first. They uh, said, "Yeah, we'll do it." And so they're going to build a thirty million dollar bowling stadium at the South Point uh, property, and that will become Bowling Central. And they, there's the the, the Las Vegas events and the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority in South Point signed an agreement with the Bowling Congress to um, to actually have these events for 12 years. So we're looking at uh, a number of opportunities, and and seven really big events are going to occur over that 12-year span, and then 40 more uh, tournaments of uh, various smaller sizes are going to be coming in. So it, it's going to be a, a lot of bowlers coming into town to uh, to uh, bowl their their rounds. Um, like I said, when when these big tournaments uh, happen, uh, they go they go from like seven in the morning until one in the morning, nonstop. There's like 300 bowlers out there at one time. It's it's really incredible to watch. Um, and then the reason why this goes on over a period of time is that you've got thousands of bowlers coming in from every state in the country, and when they come here, they stay. They love Las Vegas. The average stay here is a, a full day more than where they when they go to other cities. And other cities that have hosted this type of a tournament include Reno and El Paso, Texas. I couldn't believe that. Um, but they love Las Vegas. So when they come to Las Vegas, they bowl their games. So they're only, you know, they're only bowling for like a couple of hours, but then they spend another three days 
doing other fun stuff, buying dinners, going out and gambling, spending money. So it's quite a, it's quite a a coup that we're going to be able to have these people on a regular basis starting in 2016. And the conventional thoughts some people might poo poo bowlers, but the, um, championship that you mentioned before brought something like 300,000 people to the city. I mean, that's bigger than most of our conventions. It that's is. no joke. It is. And, and when, I, when I'd first seen this, because I, 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 I covered that event when it was uh, here back in 2009, when I first saw that, it was unbelievable. First, just, just to imagine uh, a bowling center in one of your convention areas for, for openers, that's, that's pretty incredible right there. Uh, but then the fact that these people are coming in nonstop for I think it was 156 straight days, I- incredible. It's just one of those things that uh, you know it's an only in Las Vegas uh, moment because you've got these people who are obviously big fans are committed to their their hobby, their sport. They uh, and bowling is one of those sports that just about anybody can do. Even I can do it. So it's it's one of those things that that people are going to be coming here to uh, to enjoy their sport. And the the big benefit to us is the fact that they're going to be here. Uh, in in mass numbers for at least 12 years, probably longer than that. It's incredible. And I think it's interesting that it landed at the South Point, or the South Point was the one to step up. I mean, they are famous. They already have a bowling alley. They are famous for their horse arena. Um, Michael Gaughan is a a big bowling fan. And, of course, they already have a bowling center at the South Point. He was one of the the, the key figures that... uh, that helped to put uh, uh, bowling alleys in some of the other locals casinos, the, the Boyd Group uh, casinos that are out there that have bowling centers. He, he was one of the guys who, who said, hey, this is uh, an opportunity to, to make some money, not just on, on international, but on locals. I mean, this is, a, this is a kind of a, a Vegas phenomenon where we go bowling at our, at our casino properties. I mean, that obviously you don't see that in every place <laughs> else, but, uh, but the, the fact is, is that... Um, Bowling uh, is a is a big thing for uh, for the locals' casinos, and they embrace it. Uh, even Station Casinos is in on it. And the, the the great part about this agreement that was established is that they they knew that you know maybe uh, uh, about you know twenty percent of the of the bowlers who come in could stay at the South Point at one time. So they've built into the contract that other uh, bowling center uh, or other casinos that have bowling centers would be given the uh, right to to uh, uh, market to those people that are coming in so that they can stay in uh, any number of different properties in town. So everybody wins in that case. And obviously, you're going to have some people coming in who will want to stay at Caesars, they'll want to stay at MGM, those types of things. So I, I think that it's a win for the, for the community that's really uh, going to be something when, when it gets done. They've already broken ground, I guess, this, uh, this uh, week as they're getting started on this thing, and it's going to be a two-story facility at the South Point. And the first competition is going to be in 2016. Right. They they hope to get it finished by the uh, the end of 2015 and and kind of shake the you know bugs out of it by uh, by putting a local tournament together. Um, and and the, the the other interesting part about this particular facility is that you know as as you know, Dallin, the the South Point is is pretty famous for for having uh, the equestrian facilities and they have a big uh, arena there. Well, what they're going to do in this two story facility. Is on the the bottom floor, the you know the ground floor. They're going to actually have two more equestrian arenas, so they can expand their equestrian lineup at the South Point. I mean, they're already the king, but they're going to they're going to go even more. Apparently, they can't fit everything in that they want to fit in, so they'll have uh, that on the ground floor. Then uh, they'll when they get that done, they'll actually start having horse events while construction is going on on the floors above them for this bowling center, which uh, is going to have. Uh, 
uh, more you know 60 lanes is what it what it looks like in the a stadium uh, style setup so that people can actually sit in comfortable seats to watch the the bowlers that they're supporting here so uh, that'll that, be incredible yes yeah, so, and it'll take time to do that and that's what the that's about they're they're going to put in some state-of-the-art um, sound mitigating uh, uh, stuff there so that uh, they don't scare the know, horses they don't scare their horses and they don't uh, you know because let's face it bowling's a pretty uh, pretty loud uh, a loud sport uh, uh, especially when you get people who uh, really enjoy what they're doing, uh, getting revved up when they when they throw that ball down the alley. Well, great. And before we uh, sign off for this morning, the most important question, are you a bowler and what's your average? <laughs> well, I do bowl. I uh, average about 200. So it's, That's good, I'm not Rick. that good. I'm not that good at it, but, uh, but I have a good time when I go. We beat my 93, so <laughs> good for you. You're listening to Vegas Inc. Radio. This was Rick Velada, who's one of our business reporters for Vegas Inc. and the Las Vegas Sun. We're here every Monday morning at 7 a.m. on KUNV 91.5 The Source. We're part of Waking Up With The Sun. I'm your host, Dylan Goldsberg, business editor of Vegas Inc. Thanks to Steven Zeller, our producer, and the entire KUNV team. And thanks to you for listening. Enjoy your day. <laughs>